the day we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. It's the week before He rose again on Easter Sunday. And so today we come to remember His death and His sacrifice, and then next week we celebrate His resurrection. The reality is, as believers in Christ, we celebrate His resurrection every single day. We're alive because He is alive. Without the resurrection, we have no hope, we have no future, we have no promise of heaven, we have no redemption. But through the resurrection of Christ, we come today remembering the price that Christ paid in order to redeem and to reach us through the cross of Calvary. Today, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. Old times, they called it the Eucharist, which just means to give thanks for the grace of God. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the Lord's Supper, about its importance, about its significance, about what it means, about what it is, and about what it's not. And then as a church, we're going to respond to what we've heard, and then we're going to come to the table this morning to partake of the bread and the cup. There are two names that you probably have never heard, two names that uh, maybe you don't even recognize, the name Jermaine Washington and the name Michelle Stevens. They probably don't mean anything to you, but those two names are very important to those two people. Every, every three weeks or so, Jermaine Washington and Michelle Stevens get together for what they call a gratitude lunch. You see, they were co-workers, and Michelle had encountered some difficulties with her health. It got so bad that her kidneys began to fail, and she had to go to dialysis consistently, and through dialysis... Although it was keeping her alive, she was still struggling physically. She, uh, she was struggling because she was always achy. She'd get sick. She wasn't, she wasn't at, at her, her peak energy and really, really had a hard time. She would black out. She would have joint pain. And for 11 months, Michelle Stevens was on dialysis until one day, Jermaine Washington decided he was going to do something about it. Washington couldn't stand the thought of seeing his friend and co-worker in so much pain. And so, Jermaine Washington gave Michelle Stevens one of his kidneys. So, three times every third week or so, they gather together and they have lunch. Michelle calls it their gratitude lunch. See, when you have a reason to be grateful, having a gratitude lunch is a great way to celebrate. Today, I want you to know that we come to this moment, to this meal, to this table, and we come with great gratitude because we have a reason to be grateful. And Christ gave us absolutely everything. He laid down His life so that we might be rescued and redeemed. He died so that we might live. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the sacred, eternal treasure entrusted to the church and entrusted to believers so that you and I might experience the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And before Jesus ascended to heaven, He gave two ordinances, two rites of the church. The first is baptism, and the second is the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the initial, the initial rite of the believer. It is the first act of obedience after salvation. As we saw people being baptized this morning, they are professing publicly their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus, while on the earth, was baptized to set an example for you and for me. 
Baptism is the initial rite. It's the initial ordinance. It is what, what represents our being ushered into the family of God. Communion, the Lord's Supper then, is a continual ordinance. Baptism happens one time after salvation by immersion following the example of the Lord Jesus. Communion, Jesus says this to in remembrance of me. And the Bible describes it in this way, as often as you will do this in remembrance of me. It's a picture that we are already in the family of God. We come to the table. We take of the bread and the cup. It pictures the, the, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And so today we come to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. We see Jesus with his disciples as they observe the Passover. It is the last supper in the upper room. The night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas. The night that they leave and, and, and go to the garden and, and Jesus is betrayed. He is sold for 30 pieces of silver. He's on his way to the cross. But he gathers one last time with his disciples and he institutes this communion, this Lord's Supper. It says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26 through 30. Now, they were eating. As they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The Bible says in verse 30, And when they sung a hymn, they went out, to the Mount of Olives, a simple scene and setting. Jesus gathering with his disciples in the upper room for the very last time as they observe Passover and Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Do you realize that, this, that what we're doing today doesn't represent a tradition that's 2,000 years old? It goes all the way back 3,000 years before that when, when God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian slavery and the death angel passed over the houses where the blood was applied to the doorpost and the lintel. And the Jews were instructed to observe the Passover as a remembrance of their deliverance. And then Jesus is observing the Passover with his disciples in the upper room, and he institutes the Lord's Supper so that we will remember our deliverance. And so I want to talk just for a minute this morning and ask a few questions about the Lord's Supper and really challenge you to come to this moment in an appropriate way with the right heart. Not to approach this in a, in a flippant or casual way, but to understand what this means. First of all, let's ask this question, who should participate? Today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, who should participate? What's this for? This is more than just crackers and juice at church. It's not snack time. It'd be nice if we could have snack time every once in a while, but hopefully I don't preach so long that you get too hungry during the message. This is, this is significant. It has meaning. It has eternal significance and purpose. Who should participate? Well, the Bible is very clear that those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, who followed a believer's baptism, who are walking in faithful communion with the Lord, are those that are invited to come to the table. Some churches practice what's called closed communion, meaning that only members of that particular church can partake in the Lord's Supper. Others practice open communion, meaning that, that if you've been saved, if you've been baptized, if you're following the Lord Jesus, that you are welcome to come to the table with the larger body of Christ today. Let me just 
say what I believe. I, I believe we shouldn't place any restrictions on this that the Bible doesn't place. The Bible says that this is for followers of Jesus Christ, and it's very clear in Scripture, those that have followed the Lord Jesus Christ. In baptism, we are representing the death, the burial, and the resurrection. As we go down under the water, the death, the burial, of Jesus Christ is represented, and our death to sin is represented, and when we come up, we are raised to new life through His resurrection power. Well, when we come to communion, we're representing His death as well. The bread represents the body that was broken. The juice, the cup, represents the blood that was spilled. Who should participate? Everyone who's placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone that's been baptized, that initial rite, that initial ordinance, and everyone that's walking faithfully with the Lord. We'll talk about this in a moment, but I never, I never ask you to come to the table until first we've had an invitation so we can come to the altar or so that we can do business with God so that we can get right with God so we make sure we're in the right mindset and the attitude is right before we come. Who should participate? Those who've faithfully followed the Lord Jesus Christ, those who've been saved, followed in baptism, and now are walking with the Lord. How should we participate? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we should examine ourselves. What does he mean? How should we participate? We should come, but before we come to the table, we should examine ourselves. The Lord's Supper is a serious time that we come together to commemorate the death of Jesus Christ, His sacrifice for our sins. So as we come today, we come remembering His sacrifice. But I want to remind you, this is not a funeral, it is a memorial. Those are two different things. We are not coming to a funeral today because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are remembering His sacrifice, but we are also celebrating that He is alive, that we are set free by His resurrection power. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 and 30, listen Listen to the text of Scripture. We're, we're given a, a challenge as to how we should partake of the Lord's Supper. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread or drink of the cup. Look at this now. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And Paul's writing to church in Corinth is taking this a little too flippantly. And in fact, he's saying that because we have not approached the Lord's Supper in the right way, because this church has not approached it in the right way, they've been judged and punished because of their disobedience and lack of faith. So I want you to know, this is serious. This is serious. We need to make sure that we are right with God as we come to the table. Who should participate? How should we participate let me ask this question. When should we participate? There are churches and ministries that partake of the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. We don't partake of the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. We're good Baptists, and Baptists like to do it quarterly. I think we believe somewhere in the Bible that it says, you know, quarters are very important, man. Quarters are very important to Baptists. We do it quarterly about three or four times a year. But let, me, let me just say this. The Bible does not tell us how often we are to partake of communion. There's no prescribed time. Now, I do think the Sunday before Easter is a great Sunday to observe the Lord's Supper because it's a time to remind us of His sacrifice 
as we prepare to celebrate Easter. Jesus just says, do this in remembrance of me. And Paul adds in 1 Corinthians, as often as you will, do this in remembrance of me. So literally it means, as you do this, remember the Lord. So there's no prescribed time that we have to come together every week or every month or every year or every quarter. It's not prescribed in Scripture. But let me, let me say what I believe about that. We ought to do it often enough so we don't forget its meaning, but not so often that it loses its meaning. And here's what I mean. We ought to do it so that often enough that we don't forget the significance of the bread and the cup, but not so often that it just becomes another ritual or something that we do at church on every single Sunday or every single service. And so when should we participate? As often as you will do this in remembrance of me. In 1971, the country of Iran decided to celebrate the existence of their country, Persia, and they celebrated their 2,500th anniversary. The Shah invited kings and princes and princesses from all over the land, and in 1971, he spent $100 million on a dinner to celebrate Persia's 2,500th anniversary. Could you imagine spending a hundred million dollars on a meal? But I want, you to, I want you to understand that that's not the costliest meal that's ever been served. It's not the costliest table that's ever been spread. Because what we do today as we come to observe the Lord's Supper, it costs the Son of God His life. He laid down His life. He shed His blood. He was battered and bruised, bloodied and beaten so that we might be forgiven and set free. And finally, think of this question. Why? Why should we participate? What does this mean and why does it matter? For the longest time, we would do this on Sunday nights. And then last year, we decided to partake of the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning. We still do it on Sunday nights from time to time, but why do we come together and why do we do this? And what's the significance? What does this even mean? This is a reminder, a memorial. It's a sign. It's a stake in the ground that says Christ died for me. I will live for Him. This ought to be a it ought to be a moment where we're drawn closer into the presence of the Lord Jesus, significantly experiencing, significantly understanding all that He's done for us. It's a time for us to, to look backward. We look all the way back to the Gospels where Jesus observed this with His disciples. We look all the way back to the Old Testament and the Passover. It's a time for us to look backward. It's a time for us to look inward as we examine ourselves, as we make sure everything's right between me and God. It's a time, it's a time to look upward and worship in gratitude and thanks. It's a time to look forward because the Bible says there'll be another day where we gather around a table. It'll be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb and all of the believers in Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that spread? 
Could you imagine what that will look like one day? I'm believing in faith. There'll be ice cream sandwiches and Krispy Kreme donuts gathering around that table that day. That's just the first two on my list. There's going to be so much more. It's time to look backward, inward, upward, and forward. This little boy named Holman Walsh, in 1847, Holman Walsh flew his kite. He was on the Canadian side across Niagara Falls from the United States of America. 1847, he flew his kite and he had a thousand feet of string. That day, Holman Walsh won the prize, a $5 prize for flying his kite the highest and the farthest. He won $5. There was a roar from the crowd on the other side of Niagara Falls, on the United States side, as a stranger grabbed his string and tied it to a tree. Because for the first time ever, the 800-foot span of the Niagara Falls chasm had been reached. It's interesting what they did. They took that little boy's kite string and they tied it to a smaller little rope and then they pulled it all the way across the gorge and then they tied that little rope to a larger rope and they pulled it all the way back across and they tied the larger rope to a small cable and they pulled it all the way across and the small cable was tied to a big cable and they pulled it all the way back across until just a few days later people were riding across on cable cars and paying a dollar for a trip. And then a little while later there was a a footbridge that was built and all you had to do was pay a quarter and you could walk across this great span that had never been spanned before. Well, within the year, bridges were built and horse-drawn carriages were, were crossing the great Niagara Falls some 220 feet in the air, 800 feet across. There have been 15 bridges built across that gorge and in, in history, and now six of them are still in existence, and now they're multi-lane highways that people drive across to get from one side to the other, and they probably never think that this began with a little boy in 1847 who flew a kite across Niagara Falls. They probably don't even pay attention to all the scenery. Some of them drive it so much, they don't even pay attention to everything that's going around. It's just what they do. But it all began in 1847, with a little boy who flew his kite. If great bridges can start with somebody's kite string, I want us to understand that great spiritual experiences can get their start in amazingly simple ways. There's really not much to Welch's grape juice and broken crackers. It's really all this is. But in a very simple way, it is extremely profound. From one vantage point, it might not seem much more significant than a little boy flying a kite. But maybe for you today, this one little string of connection between you and God, this one little string of connection that we are offering today, if you make that connection maybe from the smallest connection, builds this great bridge of faith. As we come today to recognize, to understand, and to remember what Christ has done for us. Do you know Him? 
Has there been a moment in your life where you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you his child? Have you been saved? Have you been redeemed and set free? Have you repented of your sins, trusting in Christ and the salvation that he offers? Have you followed him in believer's baptism? Are you walking faithfully with him? See, in just a moment, we'll have an invitation where you can come. Our pastors will be here. We're able to talk to you, share with you what it means to trust in Jesus Christ. We'll have counselors who can tell you what it means to follow the Lord. Just a string of faith today. And through that string, a great bridge can be built. I'm going to pray. And we'll have a time of response. We'll sing a song. We'll all stand in a moment. And I want us to take this seriously as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus and respond in faith.